Following Jesus isn't always easy, but it is not complicated. Our goal on the podcast is to make real life simple, and one of the areas in which life can get really complicated is work. What do you do when you work on a job where most of the people there don't share your beliefs, don't share your views about life, about God, about Jesus, and they view your thoughts about it as offensive? Well, today we have a chance to talk to somebody who works in such an environment because this guy works in Hollywood. In fact, many of you may have known him from his uh, six years on the TV show iCarly on Nickelodeon. And for me, that was a show that my kids were too young to watch when it was on because they just weren't interested. And uh, then they started dealing with dating issues and I wasn't ready for my girls to see that yet. And then about the time they got old enough, the show wasn't on anymore, so they kind of missed it. But my wife and I picked up on some episodes here and there and enough to know what was going on with this show. And then we got a chance to meet one of the stars of that show, Nathan Cress, who played the actor, or played the, the character Freddie on the show. Uh, we got a chance to meet him when he and his wife and their daughter started attending our church. And Nathan is such a, a really nice guy and a talented uh, actor and individual. And his wife is just uh, fantastic and just an adorable daughter. And um, I just wanted you to hear from Nathan because he has such a fresh perspective on what it's like to not only intersect faith and Hollywood, but also your faith and work. And I think you'll be inspired by what he has to say. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with Nathan Kress. Well, Nathan, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. And uh, some of our people know who you are, but uh, maybe some do not. Uh, But you uh, came to fame during your years on iCarly, which was a popular Disney show for five seasons six seasons uh yeah yeah it ran for well we shot um five seasons worth and then one of our seasons was actually so long they split into two so on uh ah, yes. on our second season they actually split a little bit so i think on tv it's it's listed as six but and i don't want to i don't want to be that guy but i have to say because they are the enemy it was a nickelodeon show not a disney show oh. so <laughs> we're not allowed to say the big d word over over there in Nickelodeon circles. It's very taboo. I am so sorry. I feel myself being slimed. How right dare now you, sir? I slime you with my mind. Such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I feel it. Tell us how'd you get into acting? Was that something you've always wanted to do? Did you start as a as a youngster or, you know, were you a, a baby actor or how yeah that yeah honestly i i guess i like you said i wanted to do it before i even really knew what it was i started when i was very young before i really even have any memories at all um i basically as soon as i could talk my parents determined that i was a a gigantic ham and uh i would just everything that i would watch on tv uh, everything that i would absorb i, I would memorize really easily and and recite it back for my family and and it got to the point where once i finally understood what a camera was i would demand that it be put on camera so you know for me especially at the beginning it was a lot of barney a lot of mr rogers a lot of veggie tales um i have i think one of my first videos that that i kind of recall making um and that i've seen in the past was a video of me doing an entire opening uh monologue of both Bob and Larry's parts uh, doing just both of their dialogue back and forth with the exact same inflection and, and everything else. And it was kind of 
uncanny, at, at least for that age, for it to be so specific. And I think my parents kind of looked at that and said, well, you know, it would be a great outlet for him to get out all this vocal energy he has. And uh, and it was kind of that thing where all, all of their friends said the same thing. They would just say, oh, hey, you know, have you ever thought about getting him into acting? That might be really good for him. And you know, they were honestly kind of reticent to, to do it, but they just thought, you know what, we should we should at least try it. It seems like something that he would be interested in. And hey, if it goes somewhere, he can put it toward his college fund. And, and that's great. So hmm. uh, they just saw an ad in a newspaper for a, what's called a, a cattle call which is exactly like it sounds. Uh, it's just a, a huge mm -hmm. gathering of acting hopefuls who line up and have, you know, 30 seconds to talk with an agent and see if that agent wants to, to pick them up. So, you know, your odds of, of being selected are very low. Uh, but according to my mom, I hopped up on that agent's lap and sang her a song and we talked for a minute and I was, I, I think, pretty much picked up on the spot. So, um, as soon as I started doing that, I was going out for auditions and, um, you know, did did some print work here and there and uh, found some success. My first real credit, ironically, even at that age, was voiceover work. Hmm. Um, I was uh, several of the voices on uh, the second Babe movie, Babe Pig in the City. Um, <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> a classic, an absolute instant classic, Rusty. Yes. Um, so I played one of the the chimpanzees, the the young one. Um, who always was listening to to music. And it was actually split by me and uh, another young boy who we would record the dialogue together. And uh, so that was really kind of my first thing. But overall, I just didn't really have that much. I, I just kind of lost interest. I was going out on auditions a lot and I was commuting to Santa Monica every other day. And, you know, my mom was kind of burning out because I have, I have two older brothers. And at that age, they were probably, man, maybe eight and six hmm. and that's a really important time for mom to be home you know mm -hmm. so it was it was putting kind of a strain on my parents I think I detected a little bit of that and then I was just starting to get jealous of my brothers who were playing little league and you know doing normal kid stuff that I was missing out on hmm. um and there was one audition that I went out on where well, to preface, I didn't understand what an audition was. I thought that it was something where you go in and the audition is the job. And then you walk out and it doesn't matter if you don't do anything after that because you already did the job. There was one day when I was six where I they did live cuts in the audition where they said, okay, these people can stay, these people can go. And it finally clicked for me that I was rejected you know, in, in that audition, right in front of my face and that other people were accepted. And my six-year-old brain said, nope, <laughs> I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. This isn't fun for me. <laughs> um, and that was kind of just the, the last straw where I told my parents, I'm just not having fun with this anymore. I don't want to do it anymore. And they said, yes, okay, great. Let's, let's just cancel the whole thing. Um, so I just went back to normal school, was a normal kid, did all the normal kid stuff. Uh, kind of kept my foot in the door because I had a connection to um, a lady who would do voice casting for background vocals on feature films and TV shows and stuff. So, you know, once or twice a year, I'd go in and record some background dialogue for something. And that kind of kept my interest peaked a little bit. But other than that, I just wasn't really giving it any thought. Uh, and then over the years, I started doing my school plays, which really kind of piqued my interest in acting again. Um, 
Hmm. All the way up until fifth grade when I started playing bigger characters and leads. And I told my parents, you know, I'm thinking about wanting to get into acting again. And my mom said, well, let's pray about it because (laughs) she really did not want me to do that because she didn't want to start, you know, kind of the whole cycle again. And she didn't want it to be just a flippant thing that, you know, she didn't want me to commit to such a a massive thing unless it was something that we really all felt that God was leading me to. And over the course of a couple months, she got a lot of confirmation uh, that this was what I needed to do. Um, And she didn't really understand why, but she said, okay, you know, and I, I will listen, I will submit, even though it's not the most ideal thing you know, right now for the family. And, uh, I got right back into it when I was 11 and, um, within a couple years, uh, that was when the, the audition for iCarly came along. So uh, I'd worked a little bit here and there, but iCarly was definitely the, the first big thing. Um, and I'd been doing it for about three years at that point when that happened. Wow. Okay. So iCarly comes around and did you know right away, this is going to be a hit? Um, you know, Interesting question. I think, well, there were there were certain things going for it that gave us good indicators. For one, the producer who created the whole thing, Dan Schneider, he was basically the quintessential hit maker of Nickelodeon. He had done uh, Drake and Josh, Zoe 101, The Amanda Show. He worked on all that. He did every big, uh, really critically acclaimed and audience acclaimed show that Nickelodeon had really done in the past decade. So Mm -hmm. there was a really strong track record there where, you know, if you're on a Dan Schneider show, chances are it's going to be successful. Um, And I think that when we were doing our first episode, we all thought that it was something special um, and that our chemistry was really good. And, uh, you know, the the comedy was was great, even though we were really green and really kind of getting our feet under us. Um, Mm -hmm. but I don't think anyone really anticipated what exactly was going to happen, you know? And it was, the funny thing is we started making the show and it didn't air until nine months later because that's how long, you know, the production backlog takes to start building up episodes before, before it airs. So we were kind of flying in the dark for the first half of the first season, not really knowing if anybody would like it or not, but Mm -hmm. it, it took off pretty quick. Um, and, uh, people really kind of latched onto it and it became kind of a, kind of an icon, which was really uh, humbling and, and flattering. And it made our job so much more fun, you know, to have people just coming up to us and, and even people now saying that was my childhood. You know, I watched it every day and, and you guys got me, especially people who say, you know, you guys got me through a lot and I was having a lot of issues at that time. And it was a great tool for me. Um, Hearing that even now has been really remarkable, and it, it it has made me feel especially honored to be part of of that whole experience. And it it afforded a lot of opportunities moving forward that have really kind of set my life up. You know, doing iCarly got me the movie where I met my wife. You mm-hmm. know, and and now we have this whole life that if I hadn't, when I was eleven years old, said, "Hey, you know, I think I want to get into this again," and if my mom hadn't kind of uh, submitted to her fears and and reticence about it you know if if all those things hadn't come together and we hadn't been really focusing on listening to god and and submitting to him then i wouldn't be you know i wouldn't i wouldn't know the people that i know i wouldn't be married to the person that i'm married to i wouldn't have the daughter that i have you know so it's mm-hmm. it's all it all kind of goes back to that moment wow well that 
that leads me to the, I think the big question that a lot of people want to know because they work in some facet of the industry or they, they even just wonder about how somebody can do this. How does your faith, you know, kind of intersect with your life in Hollywood? I mean, is that a difficult thing? Do you find you have to kind of go into it with disclaimers or boundaries or, you know, what's it like for you to try to navigate both of those worlds? Yeah, uh, it it is challenging um, that the people who are in the industry, especially. Well, you know, I, I know that there's challenges no matter what part of the of the crew you're involved in, but especially on the acting side for me, um, it has it has presented challenges in the sense that it has made me say no to a lot of things mm. um, that people in my peer group who don't really have any um, guidance or standard on what they feel is is okay to do, uh, they will say yes to you know whatever comes along and and that's generally very beneficial to their career i mean my, my representation has told me several times you know you you would be at a different place in your life and in your career if you had said yes to this project that you were offered or that audition that you decided not to go out on hmm. um and that's that contributes a lot to the rest of your life um and that's pretty hard to hear as you can imagine right um and and it it it's hard to juxtapose, especially now having a family and having that mentality of, well, I've got mouths to feed now. It's not just me anymore. You know, it's uh, it's it's sometimes hard looking back on those times and saying, did I really did I really need to say no to that? Hmm. Would it have been that big of a deal just to just that one time, you know, uh, say say yes and not even compromise, but just justify saying, just slipping a little bit on, on what I thought I maybe wouldn't have to have such a, a hard line stance on. And, right. and that's a battle that I kind of go through every day and I, I still go through because I'm still saying no to things that would be, you know, beneficial for my career, but not necessarily beneficial for my heart and for my spiritual walk and for, um, advocating and portraying things that I'm I'm just not comfortable doing and that I wouldn't want to have my children see me doing. Hmm. Um so it has it has definitely provided limitations and challenges but at the same time I, <laughs> the simply the benefit of just having God there with me to lean on to in those times but also all of the other times is far and away outweighs any of the so-called restrictions or or challenges or afflictions that I've been told that I've received because of of my my faith and and my stances on mm. things. I I don't think that I'm exaggerating when I say that if I was doing this, well for one I wouldn't be doing this at all if it wasn't for extreme prompting from God to even have gotten me in my career. So I definitely wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. But if I had gotten into this career, the percentage of child actors who go off the rails due to influence in their family, influence in their friends, in their colleagues and coworkers in the industry, and just the influence of the public, the 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 actors who have become addicts, committed suicide, uh, become reclusive, who it, it has destroyed their lives in one way or another is so unbelievably high. Mm -hmm. I would, I, I know 
that I would be one of those statistics if it wasn't for for this walk and for having that foundation and that balance in my life. You know, th- this industry, everybody who's in it knows it. It is so fickle mm-hmm. and so variable. Uh, it is an emotional, uh, physical, financial roller coaster, and there is there is no stability to it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I have to lean on is my relationship with God and what I know God says about me and what is true about me and his for me being there. So if I didn't have that, which so many people in the industry don't, I don't, I just don't know how people do it. I really don't know. Mm-hmm. And it, it blows my mind. But it's also kind of evident in the fact that there are so many successful actors and celebrities who beneath the surface, beneath the red carpet facade are hurting and broken and they don't have a proper outlet to turn to and they don't have people to talk to. And it's, it breaks my heart. You know, if that's, if that's alone is the reason why I'm there just to be able to talk with people about that and invite people to church and say, Hey, you know, I know that you're dealing with this. I, I know some people who might be able to help Mm -hmm. then if that's my mission for being there, then so be it. And that has worked. Honestly, I, it's very hard to be a witness in Hollywood because people are so sensitive to being preached to Mm -hmm. or talked down to, Mm -hmm. or to be told that whatever they're doing is not acceptable or okay, or that God's mad at you or God hates you because you are the way that you are. You do what you do. Um, there's already such a stigma to that that you really can't be terribly overt in in your faith. You can't really do anything that is deemed as preachy without just being kind of disregarded. Um, and this is probably, maybe other people have had more success in that than I have, but I've just found at least maybe it's, maybe it's also from the acting standpoint because it's so outward facing and so much of it is about appearances and everything else. You have to be more uh, mindful of that. What I have found and, and that what I have found that my, my wife has done when she's been on set too, because she started out as a a stunt person. That's how we met on that film. Um, (laughs) we have kind of the same philosophy where, uh, really it's more just about how you are and how you act in the day to day that makes people wonder as long as, you know, as long as you're doing it right, we're trying to do our best to live in such a way that it makes people come up to us and say, so what's your deal? Mm-hmm. Why are you the way that you are? And that's challenging, especially because we don't do it perfectly uh, at all. Um, but that is essentially the goal is rather than, uh, you know, making a, a big deal about quieting down the table so that you can pray before you eat your cast and crew lunch, you know, and, and <laughs> making a big thing of it to say, oh, here's my relationship with God that I'm going to showcase in front of everyone. It's mm-hmm. about how you are and how you treat people and how you love people and and how you are simply not living the way that is maybe perceived as normal on set. Mm-hmm. Um and sometimes it can be really simple. I mean, I I had a, a cast member while we were doing the movie that my wife and I met on. He just said, so why don't you swear like everyone else does on set? <laughs> and it was just a really simple question. And it was just a, he just noticed, you know, we'd been working together for months now. And that was just something that I, I didn't do. And it gave me the opportunity to say, well, I'm glad you asked. Here's my explanation. And that's when 
it's received better is when they're coming to me and asking questions, they can't really get mad at me preaching because they brought that to my attention. I didn't seek out and say, I don't swear because God says blah, blah, blah. You know, um, it's coming at it from kind of a, mm-hmm. a maybe a counterintuitive perspective. And and like I said, maybe that doesn't necessarily work for everyone. And especially since it's very hard to do that perfectly and consistently. But at least in in my avenues of how I reach out with people and interact with people on set, I have found that it's been the the most effective and, and it's received the best um, over over maybe other ways of of putting that out there. Well, that's such a good word, not only for people that are in Hollywood, but any job. Yeah. I mean, everybody's trying to figure out how, do, how am I a Christian in a non-Christian world in a way that's not reclusive or segregated, um, but also winsome along the way. And that, well, that's really, really helpful. Thank you for that. And thank you for being somebody that uh, has decided to take it serious. I mean, that's just such a, a huge thing. So uh, one of the things I, I've noticed about you is you're really good with fans. Hmm. Um, still to this day, even though, though iCarly's been off for several years, you know, I've seen you in a few situations where people come up to you and they freak out yeah. because they recognize you as Freddie from iCarly. Um, tell me uh, what, I, I don't know, have you had any awkward fan interactions oh. or some funny ones you'd be willing to share? That's, uh... Oh, buddy. <laughs> uh, yeah. So... So, you know, a lot of, a lot of the time, especially since it's older people, it's, it's a little bit more toned down now. Uh, it's people in their mid twenties, like I was saying earlier, just saying, Oh my gosh, this was my childhood. I'm such a big fan. I watch it all the time. Uh, in the beginning though, especially when we're talking about, you know, teen girls who have strong feelings about everything. Um, (laughs) it's, uh, the, the gamut ranges Uh quite a bit. Um, and so it has really kind of been all over the place. I, I like to think of it as, uh, a bingo card (laughs) where I've, I've had, uh, you know, your standard, your, your screamer, your crier, but then I've also had a fainter and a puker. Oh my goodness. Uh, and I'm waiting for number five and I'm kind of scared to know what it is, (laughs) but there's got to be something else out there. But yeah, I think the the biggest the biggest two, and fortunately they've only each happened one time, but it, and they've both been during autograph signings because that was something that I did a lot was go to uh, malls or events and and you know there'd be a big autograph signing around Black Friday or or a shopping season or something. So I had one young girl who I guess just got so nervous that on the way up the stage to meet me, she just projectile vomited all over the stage and fortunately was was far enough away from from me that I didn't you know catch some residual uh spray from that um but you know she was ushered off by her mom and you know apologized and and you know I I'm I don't I don't think she even wanted to stop to take a picture for (laughs) for reasons that you might understand um So that was, that was really sad. And I think what's funny, I think she was actually maybe the first one in line. Oh no! And so it just kicked off. There was, you know, a thousand kids behind her and everyone was just like dodging around the stain for the rest of the, for the rest of the signing. So that was, that was interesting. 
And then I had another one a few years ago in uh, Erie, Pennsylvania. Mm. Uh, it was a girl who came up and it was funny. She, I, I thought she was faking it mm -hmm. at first because people just, people just do interesting things when they think, okay, this is my one moment to, to have my time. I'm going to do something that stands out and be memorable. Right. So she walked up to me and, you know, was really excited and, you know, maybe kind of hyperventilating a little bit, but she, she just rolled her eyes in the back of her head and just her face went kind of slack and her hand, from what I remember, her hand kind of like went up to her forehead, like a, like a 1850s lady and then kind of the, Ooh, ah, I swoon kind of yes. thing. And so I thought, okay, haha, -ha, you know, she's, she's so excited. She's about to pass out, you know, hilarious. But then she went down, she went down hard. And <laughs> for the first second, I was still thinking, wow, this is commitment. She <laughs> maybe she is a prospective stunt person and she is really trying to make a, a whole thing of it. But then she didn't get up, Rusty. She just. <laughs> She just kind of laid there and moved around a little bit. So at that point, I, it's finally clicking that she has truly taken a dive on stage in front of me and everybody else. So I, you know, I go down to her and start just yelling, help <laughs> anyone. I don't, I don't know what to do about this. This is a first for me. Oh. Um, and, you know, she was fine. She uh, came to a couple seconds later and was very embarrassed. Um and we, you know, I got up and fortunately for her, she stuck around so that I could take a picture and sign it. But uh, she also wound up in the newspaper, the local newspaper. So, you know, good for her. She got her name out there. So if that was her first foray into an acting or stunt career, she uh, she definitely got some free publicity there. Yep. But that was definitely one of the one of the craziest ones. And I hope it doesn't happen again because. You know, we, we got lucky. She didn't hit anything important on the way down. But that was a little freaky. <laughs> and the other side of that story is that girl's name, Miley Cyrus. So there you go. Yes. Oh, Fun kidding. fact. That, that was it. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Friends, friends quote. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Starts so now you, career. you're you're married now. You have a daughter that's almost two, correct? Uh, yes. Yeah. And you've started this podcast called Radioactive Dads. Correct. Uh, tell me why you went with the dad angle. You know, I, I think what happened is the the guy that I'm doing this with, my buddy Brett Davern, uh, we met a couple years ago um, actually doing uh, charity race events um, for uh, for the Toyota Grand Prix of Long Beach at the Irwindale Speedway down, down south a little bit. And uh, mm -hmm. at that point, he had a son um, who was probably about a year old, and, and it was fun just kind of watching him be a dad, you know, because we didn't have kids yet. And uh I don't know. I, he'd always just kind of been in my mind as, as just a, a fellow dad friend. And especially once we had our daughter, he was kind of the only person that I could talk to about mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Cause all of my other friends were, um, you know, not, not really having kids yet. We kind of, we, we were the first in our group of friends to get married and have kids and all that stuff. So we've been sort of in a little bit of a vacuum for each life stage, but he was one of the few, you know, that was, uh, kind of in in my phase of life who also had kids so we kind of just got to talking and uh he had a, a podcast before that that I had been a guest on and we just had a really great conversation in that and we we talked very naturally with each other and we saw each other at an event and we just started talking about it and we realized there is just such a lack of material 
out there for young dads who want to be really intentional and be good present fathers to their kids and there's there's not that many resources out there that are coming from people that are their age who are really down in the trenches dealing with the exact same thing and especially portraying it in a comedic way which i think is very important because so much about early parenting is just if you don't laugh you'll cry Mm -hmm. so being able to commiserate and have uh people voice voice questions and and concerns and for us to process through things together and come up with solutions together on parenting issues that we're going through even just simple things of of just saying does your kid do this yes i thought my kid was the only one who does this you know it just just that is so cathartic uh it's it's kind of a a weekly therapy session for me in a way just to be able to (laughs) sit down and have that conversation and you know it's not just about the dad thing that that is primarily what it's about because that's the kind of the most important thing going on in our lives but for people of our generation who are listening it's also just millennial nostalgia and and stuff about the 90s as we were growing up as kids and it's industry stuff too usually we always end up throwing out some kind of behind the scenes tidbits or just uh, facts or correlations between our lives as parents and, and our lives as, as actors. And for me as a, as a director, you know, um, talking about projects that we're doing as they come up and everything else. So Mm. it's a, it's, it's a good outlet for us. And, and it's been great to get feedback from people who are, are telling us that there's just not that much out there for people our age. Mm -hmm. Um, and and it's really refreshing and and even just my close personal friends who are now becoming dads too i've i've heard a lot of them just saying that they they've really been enjoying it uh, just for kind of the the co-therapy session mm. um and uh yeah i i i hope it goes on for a long long time because as we all know parenting is an ever evolving thing where every every new year brings a different phase of of challenges and opportunities and fun stories to tell and and hilarious kids say the darndest things moments. So mm-hmm. there's there's always room for new content yes, every week. You um, are so, so it, it right. is a weekly thing. It's it's uh every Wednesday at three PM Pacific, six PM Eastern on Adobe Radio. We're live and we also podcast it pretty much immediately after. So it's on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Oh, and that's great. So we've only been doing it for uh for a few months and, and it's been great. We've had a uh, great viewership and great response. So uh, we're excited to to keep it going and and expand it out and and I don't know maybe do stuff live with dad groups across the country. Who knows? You know the the possibilities are are pretty infinite. But what we do know is that it just seems like for dads our age, it can feel kind of lonely, um, yeah. especially for the ones who are are really trying to to stay involved and and stay in the trenches and not just kind of float above it. Um, there's a little bit of a vacuum out there. Well. I- And that's, I love that you said that because the natural tendency for most dads is to say, "Ah, my wife's got this, especially if you have a daughter, which you do, I have two of them. And it would be very natural for me just to say, oh, she's got this. And, you know, if it was a boy, it would be different, but man, so much, especially with girls of what, you know, raising girls is about is having that dad because that's what they're, they, they crave and they need is that male attention and if they don't find it from dad they'll go find it elsewhere and right to be in the mix to be actually committed and connected uh to do the daddy daughter dates and to ask why does that make you cry and how is it you're feeling yeah <laughs> i'm telling you you've got 16 more years of material since uh, rosie's two oh. because 
all the way up to 18, it's just, um, every day is a different day. And oh boy, I, uh, I understand what you're saying because for, you know, to my, till my girls were in junior high, my outlet to talk about what was going on with them was to talk about it from stage when I taught mm. yeah. <laughs> and I could tell stories about them and they weren't in there. Well, now they're in there. Right. So I have to be careful what I say. And, uh, I think I have to pay them now when I use them in a story. So, right. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's their, uh, contribution and they, <laughs> they have to get their commission. I mean, that's do. just how it works. They get something on the back end. <laughs> oh, that's so funny, man. Yeah. I'm sure it's probably so interesting for, for you being, in that position, especially, and, and, you know, I, I feel like pastors probably have such a, a strange spot in their lives where we're, we as a church community are looking to them as just, oh, they're the ones who have all the answers and they know everything and I can come to them to fix all my problems and they'll guide mm -hmm. me in the right way. We, we never really think they've got their own issues at home. Yeah. You know, they've got kids who are struggling with the same things that everyone else's kids are dealing with. Mm -hmm. So it's so, I, I'm sure that's gotta be like you were saying, just so interesting for you. You know, you have the, the outlet of talking about it at church, but you know, it's, it's probably hard in a way of thinking, who do I go to, mm -hmm. you know, for, for those issues. It's, it's almost an amplified version of what everybody else is, is dealing with. Cause you, you have that perception of, well, I'm, I'm supposed to know. Right. You know, that's got to be very challenging. Absolutely. Well, thankfully, we have each other to uh, <laughs> to do this together. That's the beauty of church, right? We do yep. broken lives together. So, Nathan, as we kind of wrap up here, tell our listeners what you're up to now, what you have your eyes and sights on besides the podcast. Or, I know you're doing a lot of voiceover work or are we going to be able to see you in anything again soon or what's, what's happening in your world? Yeah. Yeah. So aside from the podcast, uh, it's currently out now. I have a cartoon that's on Netflix. Uh, it's in three parts. Uh, it's called Pinky Malinky. I don't even know how to describe it. It's pretty absurd. Essentially it's, it's a, it's a cartoon. So it's, it's for kids, but frankly, I, I watch it. I like it. I think it's hilarious, but it's, it's pretty absurd. It's about a hot dog who lives in a world of humans. And it is set as kind of a sort of shot like The Office, kind of mockumentary style with confessionals mm -hmm. to camera in, in the midst of scenes. Uh, I play JJ, the hot dog's best friend. Uh, so I am a human, mm. fortunately. Thank goodness. I don't know how I would act like a hot dog. Yeah. Uh, but that is uh, that's out right now. Um, so that's available. And then. Uh, in addition to uh, acting, my, my primary focus, honestly, so you won't necessarily be able to see me doing it, but you'd see my name on it, is uh, I've turned my focus a lot to directing, mm -hmm. specifically multicam kids TV. So the production company that did iCarly, obviously they did other shows after that. And uh, so I started directing for them. Um, right now it's it's Game Shakers and Henry Danger, which are both on Nickelodeon. Um, that show is actually wrapping up. So I have already finished my final episode there. Wow. Um, but I've done probably like 16, 17 episodes of that. And that's been, uh, quite a pivot. And that's a, that's a God story for a whole other episode. But the reason why I'm, I'm doing that whole thing, but, um, it's been uh, really great for me and I've, I've enjoyed it a lot more than I thought. And God has really kind of pushed and shoved me in that direction uh, in the beginning, almost against my will. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, uh, I have seen the, the, the fruit of that and the positive ramifications. And, and I'm very grateful for that, that prompting. Um, 
and I love it now. Wow. So that's that's really kind of been something that has taken more of my focus is is learning a new medium. Mm-hmm. Um, it's there's a lot of components of acting that I incorporate into it, especially when I'm communicating with the other actors. But it's it's learning a, a whole different muscle that I didn't really know before. Mm. Um, and it's fun. It's really enjoyable to kind of stretch myself and and challenge myself in that way. It's kind of what it's all about. That's great. And so Pinky Malinky is on Netflix. The other programs are on Nickelodeon, not Disney. Is that right? Correct. Not Disney. Disney, <laughs> I'm probably not even allowed at Disney. They <laughs> they probably have their own rules where I'm just escorted from the building immediately. I don't think you can even go to Disneyland, right? You're not allowed on site? You know, ironically, <laughs> ironically, maybe this is what it happened, but... Uh, Jeanette, who played Sam on iCarly, and myself and Reed Alexander, who played kind of our main villain, Neville, we all went to Disneyland together and we started a small riot on Main Street where uh, it, it all it takes is one. It just takes one person to scream really loud or, you know, to flash a camera, which makes other people look and see what the camera's getting flashed at. And then it just quickly devolved out of control as the raid was coming down Main Street. <laughs> So there, the street is completely blocked off and security's, you know, shoving people aside, trying to figure out what's going on here. And they see that we are the culprits and they immediately graciously, but forcefully escorted us out of the park. So <laughs> no Nickelodeon allowed here. Uh, you just create riots. Yep. I, I guess that is, that is the problem. We're the riot people. So, um, <laughs> haven't been to Disneyland too often since, but when I am, it's a, it's a hat and sunglasses affair. Yes. Well, the beard helps out as well. So Nathan. Oh, certainly. Yeah. That definitely wasn't in the show. No, not at all. Not at that age. Well, thank you so much for being a part of this. And it's just been so great to get to know you over the last year and uh, to hear hear your journey and see what God's doing in your life and look forward to having you back on and hearing more from you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much. Honored to be here. Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I I really love talking to Nathan and he has such great insight on what it is that he's doing and how to have some boundaries and some values at work. And hopefully that was inspiring for you. And maybe you know somebody that I might encourage or maybe just a fan of the show, iCarly, that might be interested in hearing from Nathan. Feel free to share that with them and pass that along. And next week, we'll be back with brand new content. Cannot wait to talk to you then. Bye-bye.